Masechet Pesachim Daflamed Aleph. We're going to be getting into monetary law uh, today, so um, get your business head uh, uh, on. Uh, where um, the Mishnah is going to be talking about chametz uh, that's collected as collateral for a loan, and the question is, who owns who uh, the chametz while it's a collateral before the loan is paid? Uh, so that's going to be a major um, uh, point of discussion and the machloket between Abayana and Ravah in general about loans. Uh, when when the collateral is taken, is it taken retroactively from the time of the, the time of the loan or only from the time of the default and on? And so based on that machloket, we're going to have six different points of clarification and challenge uh, to the challenges to Ravah, um, and then we'll also get to see the next Mishnah of Chametz that's. Uh, trapped under a rock slide. All right, so let's start with the Mishnah. Goy she'hilva et Yisrael. This, the, actually, all manuscripts say nochri, not goy. Uh, most of the time, when it says, when you see nochri in the Gemara, it was originally goy. And the censors took it out because uh, the Christians looked at it and said, oh, you're talking about us? So the, so the censors took out goy and put nochri instead. Uh, the problem in this edition, in the English uh, Steinsaltz, they did a copy-paste on every single one, even when it's not warranted. So in this case, it really should say nochri, but in the future cases that are actually in the Gemara, it is correct to say goy and not nochri. But if you're following along in a printed edition, uh, then you'll know why there's a difference. Okay, so I'm going to say nochri, actually. Shehilvayet Yisrael al hameso ahara pesach. Mutar So if a non-Jew lent money to a Jew, and took as collateral a lien on his, on his bread. Um, so after Pesach, the Jew is allowed to derive benefit. So let's say a case like this. Um, a non-Jew gives $1,000 uh, to the Jew. And the Jew says, uh, listen, here's a bottle of scotch that I have. It's worth $100. And so you can, uh, it'll be as collateral. Um, after Pesach, the Jew says, I'm sorry, I don't have the money. Take the scotch instead. So the goy takes the scotch. Now the non-Jew wants to share it with his Jewish neighbor or sell it to his co-worker. Can the Jew benefit from it? Well, if it was owned by a Jew on Pesach, then it would be a problem. Then no Jew can benefit from it. But if it was owned by the non-Jew, it would be okay. And so we say in this case, since the non-Jew had a lien on it all during Pesach, and in fact, the loan was defaulted and the non-Jew collected it. So we consider it as if the non-Jew owned it the entire time. You see, this would be more fitting to the opinion that says retroactively, he takes possession of it. Or maybe it's just that the lien is so strong that it's like the non-Jew has possession of it already. We'll talk about in the Gemara whether where physically is this bottle of scotch. Is Am I holding it as the Jew or did I give it over to him as the collateral? Uh, so that's one half. And the other half is the other way around. Yisrael shelvat et goy al hameso achara pesach asur bana'a. A Jew lent $100 to a non-Jew. And he says, okay, I'll take that bottle of scotch as collateral. And then he doesn't pay it back. And so after hametz, now this Jew has this bottle of scotch. Um, uh, that is prohibited because it's as if the Jew held on to it on Pesach, all during Pesach. And so this is hametz that's owned by a Jew. No Jew is allowed to derive benefit from it. Uh, so in other words, it goes by, by, the, by the lender, not by the borrower. Uh, whoever actually ends up, own, uh, ends up having that 
bottle of scotch, that's the person that owned it during Pesach as well. A lien that's collected is like it's already owned from before. That's the Mishnah. All right, and now the Gemara. Itmar, Baal Chov. Now the Gemara is talking about in general, in all cases of liens that are, that are collected. Abaya says it gets collected retroactively from the time that the, that the loan was originally made. That's when the person who collects, the, the lender who collects, actually takes ownership of it. Um, even though we don't know until later whether he's actually going to pay or not. But if he ends up not paying, retroactively, um, he gets it. Rava says, no, only from the time of collection, when the, when the loan is defaulted and the person comes to collect the, let's say it's land, then the land is only owned by the lender from then on. Uh, okay, now let's see what the difference is between them. Okay, now if, um, now, who, who tried to sell it um, uh, in, the, in the meantime? If it's the lovef, the borrower, um, who right now is still in possession of it, if the borrower, in the meantime, uh, sells it to someone else, right? I, I took my, my, um, my land that has a lien to you, and now I sold it in the meantime. Or I made a hekdesh. I say, this land uh, or this item, I'm, give, I'm making it kodesh, I'm donating it to the Bet HaMikdash. Uh, so if the Loved did both of those, then every, and then in the end, the Loved um, doesn't pay the loan and it's taken by the Malve. So everyone agrees that the Malve can come, the lender can come and take it because the lender has a prior lien on it. So the fact that I sold it beforehand, that sale was never a sale, right? I sold someone else something that I did, wasn't mine uh, to sell, right? Because um, there was a, a prior lien. And everyone would agree. So the lender can come and take it from the person I sold it to or can even take it from Hekdesh. Uh, how do we know all this? We have a Mishnah that proves it. Uh, Mishnah says, talking about a similar case where the lender uh, takes the, uh, the collateral and makes it Hekdesh. So the borrower, the, um, the, the, sorry, the borrower makes it hekdesh, the lender can come, take a coin, and redeem that value for even just one coin. It's more of a symbolic thing. Truth is, he doesn't have to redeem it at all, uh, because the lender redeemed something, uh, donated something that wasn't his, because it has a lien on it. So whoever has the prior lien takes it. And therefore, the, um, the lender can just take a coin and say, I redeem it for this, uh, with this one coin, even if it's worth 100 coins, and then take it for himself. So everyone agrees to that because it's a basic lien. It doesn't have to be retroactive for it to work. What they do argue it about, uh, about is if the lender, the lender has a lien on this item, and then the lender, before he knows whether the loan will be paid back or not, ends up selling it or sanctifying the item. Now, uh, it's, it's not yet, yet the lenders. So what is the law in that case? That's the subject of the machloket. So the lender, 
if uh, during the time of the loan, he makes something hikdesh, and then it turns out that the borrower defaults on the loan, and now the lender acquires that item. So Abaya will say, retroactively, now it's clear that it was it belonged to the uh, lender the whole time. And therefore, when he made a hekdesh, it was a proper hekdesh, and that, that hekdesh is perfectly fine. Uh, or same thing, if I uh, sold it to someone else, if I'm the, uh, I'm the lender, I sold it in the meantime, when I end up actually getting it because the borrower doesn't pay, that sale retroactive, so retroactively it's mine, and the sale goes through and is fine. However, says that no, uh, the lender, I as the lender only own it from now and on. And so therefore, when I made it hikdesh yesterday, I wasn't mine yet. So make it hikdesh, and therefore it has no status of hikdesh. Or if I sold it to you uh, but the, the, before the loan got defaulted, I sold you something that wasn't mine to sell, and therefore there is no sale. So that's where that's where they agree. See, the difference is that when it's the borrower that does that does this, um, there is already a lien on it, and so therefore everyone would agree that the lien takes precedence, even if it's just a lien. A lien doesn't mean that you actually take it right yet, but the lien takes precedence over anything else, else I do with it. But here, where it's the, where it's the lender, right? the lender actually um, doesn't take possession um, uh, based on the lien. Uh, only the question is, uh, does he take possession retroactively or not? Okay, so... Um, that's, uh, that's the first uh, uh, item of business, which is just a clarification that when Abayens and Arava say retroactive or from time of collection, it only applies to the lender's interim sale, not to the borrower's. Okay, now we're going to have a challenge to Arava from an inheritance case. This is a complicated, but very interesting case. Um, so let's see what it is. After that, we'll have a challenge to Arava from our Mishnah, which is gonna be much simpler. Okay, so look, let's look at this very interesting case. Did Rava really say that it's only from the time of default on that he gets uh, acquisition? Here's Rami Barhama's case. Reuven, I made a little chart for us here, okay? We have uh, three people, Reuven, Shimon, and the person I'm calling Tony. Tony's not in the Gemara, I just called him that, okay? And so the arrows means he owes him money. So here's how it works. Reuven owned a, a field. Reuven sold that piece of land to Shimon. And he also gave him a title, a title insurance. He told Shimon, listen, if there is a prior lien on this and uh, then that prior, uh, that prior lien comes and takes it, don't worry, I'll pay you back for whatever you paid. Let's say it's worth a million dollars. Okay, we're going to see in a second that it happens to be that Oven actually does owe Tony $1 million. So, okay, this is going to be uh, interesting. So that's, that's the first part of it. Now, furthermore, turns out Shimon doesn't have cash to pay for it right now. So he's kind of taking a mortgage. Shimon says, I'll pay you the million dollars next year. Good. So now we have this land. The land is under the in the possession of Shimon. Shimon owes Reuven a million dollars. Reuven also potentially owes Shimon a million dollars if there should be a prior lien on it. 
right? So they actually are creditors to each other, right? Shimon uh, took a mortgage out from Reuven, but Reuven is on the hook for title insurance. Good. Now it gets more comp- more complicated. And Tony also owes money. Now Tony also Tony owed money. Is owed money from Reuven. Okay. So now in a simpler case, right? Reuven's about to die, but let's say he didn't die yet. And uh, this uh, Tony, let's say Tony would um, uh, say, oh, my loan is up. He comes to Reuven. He says, pay me. And Reuven says, sorry, uh, you know, I, I, don't have, I don't have any land for you to give you. Tony, uh, Tony says, I have a lien on that land. Where is it? Oh, I sold it to Shimon. Good. So Tony would go to Shimon and says, sorry, I have a lien on the land, right? Yeah, better give it to me. Shimon is frightened enough. Also, Tony's in the right. Um, and so Shimon would then give the land to Tony. In that case, uh, Shimon would, uh, Reuven would come to Shimon and say, you still owe me a million dollars. Shimon says, yeah, but you gave me title insurance, so you owe me a million dollars. And so that would cancel each other out. Okay, that's what would happen. Excuse me, excuse me, but didn't, didn't Reuven um, buy it back from Tony? He never bought it back. No, no, that's not the case. No, no, no. Okay, yeah. don't, don't confuse anybody. All right, now, um, so that's, okay, that would be a normal case. The problem here is that Uven dies. Um, and he has children who are inheriting him. Okay, first two laws about inherit- inheritances. Um, if Reuven owes money, the children still have to pay it, but they only have to pay it from real estate, not from cash and movables, right? So if they inherit real estate, then that real estate, whatever lien is on it, um, still they would have to pay to whoever, whoever is owned, right? But once that's gone, or if it's, you know, if it's already gone, then they're off the hook. They keep the money. Whatever cash is in the in the uh, uh, under the mattress stays there. If they take that cash and they buy a field afterwards, they keep that field, right? It's only field a field that they inherit that is what has a lien to uh, to the creditors of their father. Okay, so what happens here? Um, and now Tony says, oh, he died. Okay, now Tony wants his money. So Tony, he can't go to Reuven, he's dead. Tony goes straight to Shimon and says, Shimon, you gotta, you gotta pay me, right? You gotta, um, um, you gotta give me that field, right? That, that field is mine. Now Shimon wants to keep the field. And so what does he do? Shimon, Shimon pays Tony for the field. So therefore the million dollars that uh, Reuven was owed to Tony, Shimon pays it directly to Tony. Okay, so now um, you'd think everybody's good, right? Because uh, Tony got his money. Uh, Shimon has the field. He also paid a million dollars to someone, to Tony. And now how about the children here? Now the children have a right. This is where it gets interesting. So the children come to Shimon and say, you still have to pay for the field, right? There was a mortgage on the field. You you owe us $1 million. And now if Shimon comes and says, oh yeah, but as title insurance, so you also owe me a million dollars. The children will say, sorry, that we only pay from land and we have no land. So therefore you're out. 
Um, so that therefore Shimon will end up have to pay be, have to pay twice. He had to pay Tony because Tony had a lien on the on the field. So to keep the field, they had to pay Tony. But now it turns out they're going to have to pay the children also because he already owed Ruven a million dollars, and so that transfers he owes the he owes the children, and the yeah, children okay. don't have to pay Shimon back because they only would have to pay from land, and they have no land. So so if if Ruven if you only had the left side of the of the equation there, so Tony, um, Ruven owes Tony money, which is guaranteed by real estate, and then Ruven dies. Right. Could Tony, Tony came to the, the children, the children would say, sorry, you're out. Right? And because, the lien on the land doesn't hold. Well, the children don't have to pay. They could tell you, you know, go, go find the land. So yeah, maybe Tony still has a claim on the land, which is went to Shimon. Right, but the children don't have to pay Tony. The okay. children don't have to pay anybody because they have no land. And yet they are still owed from Shimon. But, but technically, if Shimon says, I don't have the money, take the land, then... Yeah, Shimon really would have to give the land. Um, right, and, and then could he, technically, he, why don't you say that? Shimon gave the land back to Tony and then bought it from him in a separate transaction. Uh, if Shimon had given the land to Tony right, and, and then, then bought, bought it back? Yeah. That's the same thing. That's what. That's exactly. That's the same thing. That's but then Shimon doesn't have to pay twice, right? Because he doesn't owe Ruben any money. Because he does. He still owes Ruben money. Well, he didn't. He never got the land. Yeah, but that's a lien. That that that's that's a title insurance. The title insurance is a, is like as a loan, and the children don't have to pay that loan. So it's considered separate. Okay. Right. Okay. So now, if you're bothered by this, so was Rava, and so Rava says. This is Rava, right? We're going to ask a question about him. I, I copied it here, so we have it on the same page. Amarava, ipikeh Shimon. Shimon was smart and didn't want to pay twice. Magbelehu ara behadar gabela minaihu. He would tell he would tell the children, "I owe you a million dollars. I'm going to pay you with land. Here's the land. Now you owe me a million dollars in title insurance." So, and you have land, <laughs> see? So now you have to give me back that land. And so Shimon, if he gives money, then all the children say, we only have money. We can't, we can't pay you the title insurance. But if Shimon gives them the land, then they have land. And there you go. So that is Rava's solution. And as you know that that would work, if, if orphans uh, got a land from their father, a, a, um, and a, a debtor can come and collect from it. And so that's what he'd be doing, right? Yo, you got this land from your father, so we're going to take it back. Now, how is this all a question on Rava? So if you say that this land that they are Shimon owed, Shimon owed Reuven, right? And he had this as, um, and uh, this was mortgaged, the land was mortgaged. So if you say that this land, um, now that they default, default on the loan, right? Shimon paying them with land is the same as defaulting on the loan and taking the land back. So then that transfer happens Lima Freya, originally, um, from the time of the loan. Um, it was really from the time of the sale, uh, which ended up never going. But you say the sale went through. Shimon owed 
owed a million dollars to the to Ruven, um, uh, or with the with a lien on uh, with the land as collateral, and so now the land goes to the children retroactively. If it's retroactive, then it all makes sense because the children got this as inheritance, and that's why they have to pay it back. But if you say the land is only transferred now at the time of default, uh, then why should the why should Shimon be able to take it back from the children? We said if the children acquire land, if they buy land with their own money or with their father's money, they keep the land, only land that they inherit. And since they're t- getting the land now from new, so their land is theirs. And it's not from an inheritance and Shimon cannot take it back. It's like money, it's like land that the children bought with money. If they buy land on their own later with the money that they got, that doesn't go, that doesn't go to the creditor. So and why so, above, why above does he say if he's Pikeach, he'll give him the land and exactly this the is all the back. question on Rava, right? Rava contradicts himself because on the one hand, Rava says it's Mikanul Haba. Right. On the other hand, he said this that he should give him the, the he should give him the pay with land. This idea of paying with land only works if you think that it was Lemafreya. And so we have a contradiction within within Rava. That's the question to Rava. Answer Shanehatam Damalehu Kihechi de Mishtabadna Le Abuchon, Mishtabana Name Le Balchob de Abuchon. Yes, Shimon can say, listen, I owe you, but you also owe me. And we have a general principle. First, I'll describe a general principle. So it applies. Let's say A owes B and B owes C. And so now, right, the court comes and takes money from C. They don't have to give it back to B. They could give it directly to A, right? Because B, he owes, he's is owed money and someone owes him, right? So they just skip the middleman and take it from the original creditor to the original lender, the original borrower to the original lender. How do we know that from a pasuk that says, V'natan lo. if a thief steals money from B and B owes money to C and now they catch the thief and the thief pays, has to pay what he stole. We take the money from the thief and we give it straight to C, even though the thief bar- stole from B, but B owes money to C. So now while the court's involved and they have that money, they're going to go straight to the straight to the other one and skip the middleman. So how does that apply here? Let's say A and C happen to be the same person, right? I owe you and you owe me. And then I want to pay back you, but you have to pay back me. So you know what? I could just pay myself. And that's, uh, that makes it simpler. And so that's what Shimon can do in this case. And you don't have to say it's retroactive or anything. Shimon can simply come, come and say, listen, I owe you, it's true, I owe you, but you also owe me, right? And so I'm going to pay myself back and skip you. And so therefore, um, since he already has the possession of the money, then he did the, the children have no choice. They, not, no one ever asked them. It's not, they can't say, I don't have it. Shimon says, I have the money to pay Shimon back. It's my own, right? And since so he simply keeps it. And so that's how he can do it with land. Okay, good. So that we, uh, we did, we solved the case, uh, the challenge from Ravah inheritance case. Now we're gonna ask about Ravah from our own Mishnah. 
Right, so the non-Jew lent money to a Jew where, for his hametz. And then the Jew defaults on the loan and gives him the bottle of scotch. And now that bottle of scotch, any Jew can benefit from it. In other words, the non-Jew owned it the whole time. What do you mean the whole time? If you say that the bottle of scotch goes to the, to the lender, in this case, the non-Jew, from the beginning of the loan, which was before Pesach, then that's fine. That means now that I defaulted, it's good the whole time. This actually would be important. I better default on the loan, right? Otherwise, I'm going to end up having that bottle of scotch. So I'll default on the loan. And then it says the whole time from the beginning. But if it's only from the time that I default, let's say that's after Pesach. And so that means I was in possession of my scotch the whole time. How come I'm allowed to benefit from it? It was in the ownership of a Jew. So that's the question on Rava, right? So it makes sense for Abaye because he said it's retroactive. But for Rava who says it's from now on, why should it be allowed? So his answer is, The Jew, I took my bottle of scotch and I actually gave it to the non-Jew to hold on in his house as collateral. And that makes a difference, right? If I actually give it to him and say, here, hold on to this until I pay, if I pay back the loan, then um, even Rava would agree that it's in his domain, it's in his possession, that's in his ownership, Unless I come and pay it back, then I'll get it back. But during that time, um, it's his, assuming that I don't pay it back and he keeps it. All right, good. So that, that's a, that was an easy solution. All right, now we're going to try to match up this machloket abayan rava with two tanaim, with a, a similar case. So, Jew, I'll be the Jew, right? And I uh, lent money to a non-Jew for his chametz. So, right, I took Avelin on his chametz. After Pesach, no problem, it's okay. In other words, I don't take possession of it. It remains with that, with the, with the non-Jew. Um, uh, that's the first opinion, Tanakama. However, says I do violate, right? That is my my chametz. I had it as a lien. I guess he didn't end up paying back, and now I have it. So I violated owning chametz on Pesach. Now, what's the what are they arguing about? My love, said it goes retroactively. And that's why I owned it from the beginning of the loan. I owned it the whole time. And that's why I, I do violate. Tanakama would have to say that, no, only from the time of the default and on. That's when I, that's when I take possession. And that was after Pesach. And so therefore, right? And therefore this could match up. All right, that seems like, like it would work. The problem is we have to read the rest of the Braita. The Gemara purposely only tells you half the Braita, so to set you up to think, think it works. But now the rest of the, the Sefa does not match. What if it's the other way around? Um, a non-Jew lends me, the Jew, money uh, for my bottle of scotch. And Alachara Pesach, and I end up not paying the loan and I give them the bottle of scotch after Pesach, everyone agrees, I violated, that I did uh, keep it. I had possession. Everyone agrees. So you see that this uh, doesn't work. 
But that shouldn't be. It should be the opposite of whatever they said before. They should say the opposite now. The one who said an over, that was Tanakama, he should say, in this case, over, because over here it was the, the uh, Jew that was uh, the lender, and so the lender owns it. Over here it's the non-Jew is the lender, so the non-Jew owns it, right? And so um, so if you say an over here, uh, then it should be uh, over here, over. The mandaman hatam over, according to the Bimeir over here, who said over, um, because he would say lemafreya, so here should be an over, because he also says lemafreya. And since it was my my scotch, and I, I you had a lean on it, so retroactively, you you keep it, you take it from the time of the loan, and this should be okay. So, um, but that's not what it says. Instead, the sefa says, in all cases, over. Right? Whoever has it violates. So we need a different explanation for this. So the Tanaim don't match up Tabaya and Rava, in fact. Rather, it's talking about a case where where it's talking about a case where whoever um, was, was lending the money actually took physical possession of the collateral. And we're arguing about a different uh, question. The Kami Palgebe did a Yitzchak. Okay, we have a principle that if it's talking about two Jews, then whoever is in possession, if I take your, your collateral, then it's mine. But that's only if it's Jew and Jew. Does that apply to a Jew and a non-Jew? So how do we know that applies to a Jew and a Jew? From the case of if I um, right if I borrow if I uh, lend money to a poor person and as a guarantee he doesn't have much all he has is pajamas so I take his pajamas as the collateral so the Torah says at night I should return him the pajamas so he could have something to sleep in at night and that will be a sedaka what do you mean a sedaka sedaka means it's a charity it's mine and I do a good deed by allowing him to use the pajamas that are mine. Otherwise, if it's his, it wouldn't be called tzedakah. So you see that, and that's talking about a case of a Jew and a Jew. So in the case of two Jews, whoever takes possession, that the, if the lender takes possession, the lender owns it. And so that would, right, that would explain the cases before. Um, and, but that, that, however, here, does it apply to a non-Jew? Um, says, this applies only to two Jews. But a non-Jew, it does not apply to. And that's why when a Jew has bread as a collateral from a non-Jew that he owes, uh, that he owes money to, um, he does not violate because the Jew does not take possession right from the non-Jew. Even though he's holding on to it, he doesn't take possession. And so that's why it's okay according to Tanakh I guess he's assuming that a, a Jew would have more rights than, uh, than a non-Jew. Uh, a Jew would have more rights to a Jewish property than, than, than to a non-Jew. So he says, if I, if I can take from, if I, when I take the Jew scotch, it's mine, uh, then all the more so when I take from the non-Jew, it's mine. And therefore, I do violate in that, in that case, in the first case. But a non-Jew who lent money to a Jew, and now that non-Jew is holding on to the Jew's chametz, 
Everyone agrees that that is a violation because the non-Jew does not take possession. And so therefore, even though he's holding on to it, still, uh, I, I still own it. So that's in fact what they were talking about there, a different topic than ours. And so it does not match up. Okay, so the Tanetic parallel doesn't work. And now we're going to have another challenge from our Mishnah, really based on this, uh, what we just said. Tenan, goy shelva Yisrael al chameso, achara pesach mutar Right, back to the regular case. A non-Jew lent money to me, uh, the, the Jew, for my scotch. After Pesach, it's okay. I defaulted on the loan. He ends up taking it. Wait a second. That's what we just said. Even if I give it to, to the non-Jew to hold on to, you just said, it does not, the non-Jew does not actually take ownership of it. And so it doesn't help. Why did the Mishnah say that I didn't violate and that um, a Jew can drink it and uh, benefit from it? Our Mishnah must be talking about a case where I say at the time of the loan, here is the bottle of scotch. If I don't pay back, this is yours from now. I actually specify that. In that case, oh, everyone would agree that it will be retroactive because I said so. But if not, if I, did, if I didn't say Me'achshav, then the non-Jew does not take does not may take ownership of it. And that would explain the difference between the, these two cases. Um, and how do I know that makes such a difference? Nanju who gave as collateral um, this big bread, uh, bread, bread, bread that's baked in this big oven, um, that would more usually be used as collateral, not just if it's a little roll I make in my house, um, and, give, and gives it to a Jew, um, it's okay. And if he says, here, I made it yours, right? Take it from now. What's the difference? Right, so that's a, a baraita that shows that the answer we just gave is a, is a good answer. Question. Yeah. If, if, if the Yatomim uh, owe a debt and then they buy themselves uh, land, um, is that land subject to, um, to the debts? That's a new, it sounds like that's a new. If they themselves lend money with yeah. their own, with their money that they have no, now? No, no, the father loaned the money, okay? Um, they have no land. And then they suddenly come into money and they buy land. Right. Okay, now, and the father owes money. Yeah. Now, since they only had Metatalim when he died, right. is this new money, is this mm -hmm. new land uh, uh, considered um, uh, collateral? No, no. That new anything new that they buy with money is their own land. So, so they don't have to say, pay it back. What did we say before? If he wants to be smart, give him land and then demand it back. Uh, yeah, he gives he gives him land, but then he doesn't actually give it to him. He keeps it. He keeps it and says, "I'm paying myself back because you owe me. I owe you, and you owe me." But that's the conclusion. Before that, where he says, "If if he's smart, give him the karka and then." Bring it back. Later on, they change it. Well, if it's Limafreya. So if, yeah. it, if it's Limafreya, then it works no matter what. That's why Limafreya works because, right, it, uh, 
It's okay. as if now, it's as yeah. if your father had it. Okay. okay. So without that logic, you need the lemafreya. That's precisely the point. Okay. Last point. Tanud banan. Hanut shel Yisrael. This is a, a tosefta. It's all simply related to the to a similar law. Um, and a, a shop owned by a Jew. Umelai shel Yisrael. And the contents of the shop, the the uh, the merchandise is owned by a Jew. Upale goyim nichnasim lesham. Uh, by the way, Goyim here is correct. All the manuscripts say Goyim, only the printed editions say Nochri. Okay, so this is good. Um, uh, so then there's non-Jewish workers there. Now you found Chametz in the store. How do I know who, who it belongs to? So you assume that the Chametz that's found belongs to the owner and not to the workers. It's true, the worker might have brought some chametz luncheon and whatever, and then that would have left some over, and then when that would be permitted, but we don't assume that. We assume any piece of bread you found, you found and make, remember, the, they're supermarkets, they're not like packages of, of everything, right? There's just some, there's some flour, there's a cracker, there's something around, you go by the owner. Uh, and the opposite, also true. Chanut shel goy, umelai shel goy, a non-Jewish shop that has merchandise owned by non-Jews. And Jewish workers go in and out. If you find something there, after Pesach, you can assume it belonged to the store owners, and therefore a Jew is allowed to eat it and allowed to derive benefit from it. Uh, very nice. Okay, so that concludes the uh, six points we said about um, this Mishnah, and now we're going to go to the next Mishnah, a simple one about a rock slide. Okay, you have to eliminate chametz, usually by uh, burning it or, or throwing it into the wind. If it's under a pile of rocks and it's inaccessible, that's also like eliminated. Even though it's there and whole and in a container, I can't access it. It's as if it's not there. I don't have to worry about it. It doesn't seem to be arguing. He seems to be giving a definition. Well, how, how, you know, how, how difficult does it have to be to get at it? If a dog could not find it, then you don't have to worry about it. But if it's just buried a little and a dog could smell it and dig, then you do have to eliminate, then you do have to go and find it and, uh, and destroy it. It's not yet destroyed. Okay. He's adding, you also have to have in mind and say, I don't care about it. It's not mine. Because otherwise, it's really there and you own it. Okay, you can't access it, but you own it. So he's uh, adding this extra level. Um, Mishnah didn't say this, but um, this is an extra chumrah that Rav Chista is adding here. Tana, kama chafishat ha-kelib Okay, I don't have a dog. I can't check if he can find it or not. Can I estimate? Yeah, three tefachim, nine inches. If it's buried under nine inches of rubble, then you can assume that a dog will not be able to find it. Okay, related question. If I give you money to hold on for me, I can watch this money as a Shomer Chinam. So you, you don't have to put it in the vault in Fort Knox. You just have to watch it in a normal way. What's watching in a normal way? 
burying it underground and that way no one will find it. Is, is, what, what is that? How much do I have to bury it? Is that also three tefachim, right? Would it be the same definition? And if let's say I buried it under only two tefachim and someone found it and stole it, would I be liable? Or is that considered, right? Does, do I need three tefachim to be considered a normal level of watching? This is no, you don't need three, only one for watching. Why three here? Because you have to worry about the smell. The, the dog can sniff, if the dog can sniff it out, then it's going to find it. You need three tefachim uh, of rubble in order to cover the smell. But if we talk about money, then it's just about concealing it from a thief who will see it then in that case, only one tefach is sufficient to cover it up from the eyesight. The chama, how much is enough? Simply one tefach will, will conceal it. Uh, we uh, conclude this Mishnah, and we'll do the next one tomorrow.